So 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting on verse 13. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the, le- the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left up left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Uh, please keep your Bibles open as we continue our series on 1 Thessalonians. Let me uh, pray for us as we get into the passage. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are the God of all goodness and kindness, of all creation and life. And Father, as we come to this passage this morning, as we consider a death and our own death and the death of our loved ones, may you grant us genuine hope in Christ who conquered death, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, seven years old, younger than Evie uh, Evangeline, is uh, now by about a year. Uh, the whole family had gathered together. My dad and my mum were there, my brothers, my uncles and aunties, my grandma. Uh, I found myself in a room that I had never been in before. I was confused and uh, probably a, a, a little scared because standing opposite me was my uncle on the other side of the room. And now my uncle, uh, he had nunchucks. He always thought that he was you know, Bruce Lee growing up and always practiced his nunchucks and his karate kicks uh, uh, in his spare time. And he was as tough as nails. Uh, but there he was opposite in the room across from me crying, uh, sobbing, which was very strange because my uncle never cried. He was Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee never cries, my uncle never cried, so why was my uncle crying? Well, it's because standing between us was a table, a metal table, and on this table was a corpse. We were at Footscray Hospital. You see, my grandfather had been waiting for a bus at Footscray to go home. He was standing next to an alleyway, and a truck was reversing. The driver didn't see my granddad, hit into him, the ambulance was caught, he was taken to hospital, the doctors did everything they could to save him, but they couldn't stop the internal bleeding, he died. So the, the family was caught together into this theatre room. We were gathered around, and there was my granddad, dead on this metal table. That was the first time I confronted death, I was uh, just seven years old, and I've never forgotten it. The image in that hospital, in that ward, in that room, in that theatre has burned into my mind. 
And in today's passage, Paul addresses the, the question about death. And now you might say to me, Dave, well, why are you talking about death? Uh, we got kids in the uh, church service. So I, I, I don't like talking about death. I don't like talking about uh, and thinking about death. Let alone my death, your death, anyone's death. It, it's morbid. It's a horrible topic. Why, why do we have to look at it? Why do we have to talk about it? Uh, I mean, death is terrible. It's horrible, isn't it? We don't like talking about it. Uh, if someone you know and love dies, especially if it's sudden and unexpected, it can be very confronting and very difficult to accept. Uh, so I read in the paper this week, there's an article about a double tragedy. Uh, a couple of weeks ago in South Australia, in an opal mine uh, town, Elizabeth found her son, uh, Goran, dead at home. Uh, they, they still don't know why he died. Uh, he was only 34 years old. He was popular, charming, uh, well-mannered and polite. And as far as we know, uh, healthy. Uh, his death remains a mystery, but the article wasn't about Goran. Uh, it was about his mum, Elizabeth. Because two days after his death, Elizabeth was so grief-stricken, she started to feel chest pain. Uh, the, 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 the ambulance was called, she went to hospital, but hours later, uh, she died from a heart attack. Or what we might call a broken heart. Uh, death's horrible, it's confronting, it, it can leave us hopeless and helpless. Uh, because despite all the theories about what happens after death, there's so much skepticism. We're skeptical about what happens after death, d d despite what people tell us, aren't we? Because, because who, who really knows? Who really knows what happens after you die? So Buddhism teaches reincarnation, uh, that you, you will come back, hopefully as another person or maybe as an animal, or whatever it might be, until you finally reach a state of nothingness called nirvana. Um, Muslims hope that if they do the right thing and Allah will be happy with them, that they'll be greeted by 72 virgins. And atheists believe that there's absolutely nothing beyond death, uh, that your body will decay and be uh, food for the worms. Uh, yet who really knows? Who's actually crossed the bridge of death uh, to come back to tell us what it's like, well, what, what's beyond death? Maybe that's why it's taboo to talk about death. Since it makes us feel so hopeless and helpless, we have so many questions and not enough answers. Uh, talking about death only makes us feel uh, depressed and defeated. So why even bother? I mean, we can make cars drive and sail across the seven seas. Uh, we can make planes fly and even land a man on the moon. Yet we can't stop the aging process. Uh, we can build hospitals and train doctors. We can perform heart uh, transplants and, and remove brain tumors, yet we can't stop people from dying. No matter how much we try, how hard we try, death is inevitable. So, so is there any hope for us beyond the grave? Is there any point even talking about it? Does anyone even know what happens beyond the grave? Well, that's what the Christians in Thessalonica in the first century were wondering as well. They were asking the same questions we're asking and we're thinking about this morning. You see, amongst them in their little church, probably in a house church not much bigger than our church right now, people were dying, as you'd expect. Christians were dying and they were distraught. They were feeling Hopeless and helpless, they were wondering what's going on here because in their mind, Jesus was going to return in their lifetime. 
because Jesus was returning soon. They thought that everyone there would still be alive when Jesus returns. No one would die before that happens. And Paul found out about this probably from Timothy's report, as we saw a couple of weeks ago. And so in this next section of his letter to them, he addresses this issue about death because it's a concern that they have about those who have died amongst them. You, you see, I, I, I didn't actually choose to speak about death today. It wasn't, uh, uh, you know, during the week I thought, I want to be morbid this week. I want to, I want to scare our congregation. I want to talk about something that will frighten our kids and give them nightmares. No, that wasn't the intention. It, it's simply the next passage in the Bible book that we're reading and studying this uh, as part of this series. You see, my job as a minister isn't to preach my hobby horses, but to teach the whole counsel of God. And the best way I believe I can do that is to preach through books of the Bible. Not just New Testament books, but Old Testament books too. Not just letters from the Apostle Paul and the Gospels, but also from the prophets and the narratives in the Old Testament and everything in between. Uh, but, but don't get me wrong, because uh, there's a place uh, for me to be led by the Spirit, to be prompted by the Spirit, and there's certainly a value in preaching topically, as we've done recently over the uh, with the Reformation series. But the bread and butter of our Christian diet is to study books of the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. That way, God sets the agenda for what we must learn. God chooses the topics that we must study. And today's passage happens to be on death. Because Paul doesn't want the Christians in Thessalonica to be ignorant, to be uninformed, he says in verse 13, and be filled with hopeless grief like Elizabeth, to be, but to be informed. He wants them to be informed, to know what happens to Christians who die, so that they don't grieve hopelessly, but to grieve with hope. So verse 13, please have your Bibles open and look at it with me. Brothers and sisters, he says to them, we do not want you to be uninformed or ignorant about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. And you see, what Paul is doing here is he's drawing a line in the sand. On one side, you have those who are informed and therefore have hope. On the other side of the sand are those who are uninformed, are ignorant about death and therefore have no hope. Now, I wonder which side of the line you identify yourself with. Are you someone who knows what happens to those who die and therefore have hope? They're intricately linked. If you know what happens, you will have hope. But if you don't know what happens after you die, if you're ignorant of that, Paul says, you're without hope. Well, hope... You'll see today, as Paul hoped the Christians in Thessalonica could see, is that you can know what happens after you die, and he wants them to have hope in their grief, and so do I. I want you to leave today filled with hope, being informed about what will happen to you when you die, if you're in Christ. And it all boils down to one person. We can know what happens after we die because of one person. Because of what this one person did and what this one person said. 
What he did, we see in verse 14. What he said, we see in verses 15 to 17. And then Paul ends with our response in verse 18. And so let's, let's now have a look at this uh, passage before us first. Uh, what, what did this person say? Oh, well, what did this person do? Sorry. Verse, verse 14. What did this person do? For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. The person that knows about death and has told us about death is the person Jesus Christ. Now, if you've been going to church for a while, you'll hear this often. Jesus died and rose again. It becomes part of the Christian lingo. Jargon that we use and throw around. It's just what Christians say and what we sing about. Uh, so it's helpful to, for us to pause for a moment and to reflect on what does that actually mean? Because Jesus died and rose again is the gospel. If you're ever in doubt, if you're ever wondering what the answer, the Christian response is to a question, you go back to the gospel. That's what Paul does. Jesus died and rose again. But what does it mean in this context? You see, Buddha didn't reach nirvana and then come back to tell everyone about reincarnation. Because once you reach nirvana, that's it. You become nothing. You can't come back. And Muhammad wasn't greeted by 72 virgins and then decided to come back to tell the world what is beyond death because he died and that was it. He didn't come back from the dead. But Jesus did. Jesus died and rose again. That is, Jesus literally died. When he was on the cross and he was nailed to that tree, he actually died. He was actually buried in a tomb for three days and he rose again. He died, was buried and rose again. He crossed the bridge of death and he came back. You see, Jesus is the only person in all of history who's qualified to tell us what's beyond the grave because he's been there and done it. He's come back to tell us. He's the only person who's ever done it. No other religious leader, no other person claims to have done that. So don't listen to anyone else, listen to Jesus. It's a bit like this. For centuries, hundreds of years ago, for centuries, people didn't believe that there was land to the west of Portugal. Because the Portugal's in Europe, to the, to the far west of Europe. And so there was a plaque in the port of Lisbon which simply said, ne plus ultra, which translates to nothing beyond this. Nothing beyond the west of Europe. There's just the sea. And what did they believe back then? That the earth was flat. That if you traveled that sea and went further west, you'd fall off. But then in 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. And he discovered America further west. He crossed the Atlantic Ocean. And so now when you return to Portugal, when he returned to Portugal, he told the whole world this land. If you go far enough or long enough, you'll find land. And so the plaque was actually changed in Portugal in Lisbon. And now it reads plus ultra. There is more beyond this point. That the whole world was turned upside down because what they had thought their entire lives had now changed. So, so now imagine if Columbus didn't come back, Europe would have continued to be in their ignorance. But just say more people sailed in search for land, but they didn't return either. Europe would have continued to be in their ignorance. And so for centuries, before Jesus came, everyone had an opinion about the afterlife. 
Lots and lots of people died, right? But none of them came back. And so Aristotle, the great philosopher, said, death is the most terrifying of things, for it is the end. But of course, others believed there was an afterlife, like the Egyptians and even the Chinese. There's a reason the first emperor of China had the terracotta uh, warriors made. They believed in an afterlife, but they were fearful. They didn't know what to expect. But none of them ever crossed the border of death that is set off sail from Europe, as it were, to come back to tell the rest of the world, like Columbus did, there's life after death. There's land, there's an afterlife. I've been there, I've come back to tell you what it's all about. Now, no one had ever done that until the man Jesus Christ, who died and rose again. Who died and rose again. He's been there and done it. He's a bit like Columbus in that sense, you see. He's gone far out into the ocean and come back to tell us what's beyond what we can see, what we can feel, what we can know. Some religions and some people claim they have the clue, they have the answer, they know what's on the other side, but they've never been there and come back to tell us. It's pure speculation, it's wishful hope, because they're still in Europe. And those who have gone into the Atlantic Ocean haven't returned. And so those still in Europe are still ignorant of what lies in the distance. And so you can either stay in Europe, friends, and live life like there's no America. Or you can jump on board with Jesus and have life in its fullest. And all it takes is to believe in him. If you believe in Columbus, that there's land across the Atlantic, and you wouldn't want it to be part of that, all you have to do is believe him and jump on his boat and go and sail with him and you'd be there. You'll reach America. And in a similar way, if you want life after death, all you have to do is believe in Jesus and jump into his boat, as it were. And you'll be raised from death to life. Verse 14. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. That is the gospel. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. You see, the life of the Christian is so bound with Jesus' life that because he died and rose again, those who believe him will die but also rise with him as well. Now, you'll notice that um, Paul talks about the dead here as those who have fallen asleep. And that's an apt description for Christians who have died, isn't it? For there's life beyond the grave. Then it's appropriate that those who die in Christ are asleep and will one day wake up again. And so when you go to bed, you expect to wake up in the morning. And so if you're a Christian... If you die, you can expect to be woken up by Jesus. I mean, even last night when Kylie and the kids went to bed, I didn't wonder whether they'd wake up in the morning. I expected to see them again up and early in the morning, making me a big breakfast, which, by the way, I'm still waiting for. But in a similar way, when a Christian dies in Christ, that is, a person who still believes in Jesus when they die we can expect to see them again. We'll be reunited with them, even though we might be separated for, from them for a time. It'll still be hard. It's perfectly normal and appropriate to grieve when someone dies. 
Just like Jesus wept when his friend Lazarus died, even though he knew that he was going to raise Lazarus back to life. You see, as Christians, we grieve with hope because if someone in Christ has gone to sleep, they'll one day wake up again and rise when Jesus returns. But what will happen when those who have died in Christ, what's the next thing that they will experience? Well, the good thing is that Jesus didn't just conquer death. He came back to tell us what lies beyond the grave. And we see this in the next section from verses 15 to 17. Now, as we read this section, we want to remember two things. First, Paul's addressing Christians. He, he, he's not here explaining what happens to unbelievers. Uh, because he's not writing to unbelievers, he's writing to believers. And he wants to offer clarity and comfort, assurance and hope to those who believe and who have died in Christ. What this means is that he's not trying to answer all their questions about the last day, let alone our questions about the last day. He's interested in telling them what they need to know so that they can grieve with hope. Now, that's why Paul goes on to reassure and comfort the Thessalonians uh, that those who have died in Christ won't miss out on the resurrection. In fact, they won't be disadvantaged in any way. Verse 15. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. Our second, Paul's giving us a snapshot of what happens after you die. When Jesus returns, what will happen? Now, we have to remember, Paul's not here writing his PhD on the last day. He's writing a pastoral letter to Christians who are grieving because their loved ones have died. And so what we have isn't a great detail, a great deal of detail, and our reading of it shouldn't be to read between the lines, but to read it as an image of something like a victory parade. So what will happen when Jesus returns? Now, it's like a victory parade. Now, what's a victory parade? It's a celebration, isn't it? Like if Caesar or one of his generals led, his, uh, led a successful campaign and returned to the city, after defeating his enemies, there will be a victory parade for them. Uh, they'd ride into town, they'd be followed by their entourage and their commanding officers and soldiers, and people on the streets would gather, form a procession, welcome them, celebrate and rejoice in their victory. Uh, or if Australia miraculously wins the current World Cup, which has the probability of 0%, in case you're wondering, but let's imagine that they won the World Cup and a couple of weeks later, they come back to Australia. What will happen? Well, every Australian city would invite them into their city for a parade, for a victory lap of sorts, so that we might celebrate with them on, in their victory. And in a similar way, when Jesus returns, the image we get is like that of a victory parade. When he comes from heaven as a ruling king who defeated death once and for all, there'll be such a commotion that all who belong to him, whether dead or alive, will be caught up with him to celebrate and rejoice in his victory. So verse 11, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven. So these words are painting a picture. Visualize and imagine it as a victory parade of sorts that's happening in the skies. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. That is, they won't be disadvantaged, they'll rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left 
will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Now how this all works and what it all means, like what happens to Christians who've been cremated? How how does that work? Or, or, Or how can everyone gather in the clouds? There's going to be a lot of people. It's going to be a very cloud. Crowded cloud. Oh my goodness, what a twin tongue, tongue twister. <laughs> or how can everyone know that this is happening all at the same time? I mean, if Jesus is a person, he's going to appear in one spot, right? And the globe is round. Columbus told us that. And so if Jesus came and appeared in Europe, how would we know about it in Australia? So do we need to work out where Jesus is going to land and so we should gather there and wait for him there? Or is it because technology has so advanced that there are now satellites? And so what we need to do is make sure our TVs are always on so that we don't miss out when Jesus returns, that we get to see it. It's going to be broadcast live. Is that why? Is that why Jesus had returned? Because he's waiting for technology to advance so that it might make it possible for him to appear. You see, Paul's not concerned about that. Christians have died. They're sad. He's writing a letter to them saying, don't grieve hopelessly. Grieve with hope. Jesus is going to come back. They're going to be all right. That's the point. Don't read between the lines. We need to remember the context. He's writing to comfort and assure the Christians in Thessalonica that Jesus will return. Those who have died in Christ won't be disadvantaged in any way. It's going to be a victory parade and you're going to be part of it. That's the point. That's the point. And so if you believe in Jesus, don't worry. You see, the danger of overreading and speculating is that we run into all sorts of trouble. It can cause us anxiety and fear. It can also lead us astray. It's a bit like this. I went to a mechanic and asked the mechanic, can I have some 710? Do you have any 710? And the mechanic was like, what are you talking about 710? I've never heard of 710. You definitely have 710. I need 710. Give me 710. And the mechanic's like, what are you talking about? So the guy takes the cap off his car, takes it to the mechanic and says, 710, give me 710. And he goes, it's oil you need. It's upside down. You see, when we overread and overcomplicate things, we can misinterpret. Or or take this other example. There's a road sign which warns you uh, that the road could be slippery when the road's wet. But instead, this guy reads too much into the sign and tries to imitate, assumes and thinks that that sign means drive like this. No, no, no. He's putting himself into a lot of trouble. So friends, don't do that with scripture. Read it in context. Don't read between the lines. Don't read into the passage. Don't try to get things out of the passage that you shouldn't be getting. Paul was writing to grieving Christians. And he didn't want them to grieve without hope. You see, when we need, when we read apocalyptic passages like this, we need to be mindful of the big picture and not get caught up in the detail. Jesus is coming back, it's going to be great. There's a victory parade and you're going to be part of it if you're in Christ, whether you're dead or alive. Isn't that great news? Isn't that wonderful news? And that's why Paul ends this section not with his PhD, but with a pastoral exhortation. Verse 18, Therefore encourage one another with these words. 
See, doctrine always leads to partial concern. They go hand in hand. He doesn't teach us theology without helping us to see its relevance in our life. The message is simple and clear. It's not meant to lead to speculation and conjecture. It's not meant to be difficult to grasp or confusing to understand, but a simple message. Plain and simple, the young can understand it, the old can get it, so that everyone can be comforted that if you die in Christ, you'll rise with him as well. And so in case you're now wondering, as I'm sure the Thessalonian Christians were wondering, but when is this going to happen? Well, that's in next week's passage. And so you can read about it, or you can come back next week to hear me preach about it. Well, after my granddad died, I thought a lot about death as a seven-year-old. But I don't think I ever actually spoke to anyone about what I thought or how I felt. After all, it's taboo to talk about death, isn't it? I mean, when was the last time you talked about death genuinely and seriously? Over the dinner table? At the water cooler at work? or in the classroom with your friends. But as Christians, death shouldn't be a taboo topic, should it? Because we know that death isn't the end. There's life beyond the grave. Grave, sorry. There's hope in the resurrection. And since we don't want people to be ignorant and grieve without hope, especially those we love and those we know, then we need to be people who talk about death so that we might share the hope we have in Christ. When Columbus returned from discovering America, I'm sure it was the talk of the town. In every pub at the market, in every home, at every dinner table. People would have talked about it nonstop. Did you hear the news? Columbus didn't fall off the edge of the earth. It's not flat after all. And you know what else? He discovered all these new peoples who don't, who don't look like us, don't speak our language. And he's found all these other animals, all this fauna, all, the, all, these, all, all these nuts and grains and things that we've, we've never seen before. It would have been the talk of the town for years and years and years. But Jesus has come back from something far significant, far more important. And he's the only one who's ever done it. He's come back, not from another country, but from the dead. And the excitement and the hope that we should surely feel because of that should surely be greater than a European in the 1500s. So let me encourage you, if you don't believe in Jesus yet, in his death and resurrection, then let me encourage you to find out more and make an informed decision. Just as you might have 500 years ago, if you heard at the market that Columbus had sailed the seas and come back and found new land, you, you, you'd want to find out. So let me encourage you to do the same because Jesus has crossed the bridge of death and has returned. Because just as Paul wanted, I want you to have hope. And brothers and sisters, those of you who are in Christ, when there, there, when there is death amongst us, because there will come a time when we will face death amongst our own. 
Let's remember this passage. Let's remember Paul's exhortation. Let's not grieve without hope, but let's grieve with hope, knowing that one day we'll be reunited in the victory parade of Christ. And that's what kept me going as a seven-year-old boy. I knew my granddad was a Christian. In fact, he was a large reason why I became a Christian and many in my family became Christians. His faith played a part in my own faith, probably without even realising it. And because of him, I know that I will see him again at the victory parade of Christ. Amen.